I love you, church family. I want you to know that. I don't want you to walk out of here without knowing that I love you. We love each other. I want you to take just a moment, if you would, and turn to your neighbor and give them a hug. Give them a hug. Give them a hug. Just a moment. Just a moment. That's what I like to see. A lot of smiles. A lot of enjoyment. You know, we have a great church family. And it's a tremendous blessing to be a part of a church family. And we come to this place today as we worship the Lord and we lift up His name. What a blessing it is that we have people to walk the journey with us in the things that we go through in this life. Before we get into God's Word, I just want to voice a prayer. And and I'm going to be praying for myself, but I'm also going to be praying for you. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank You for this time. And Father, we bow before you in humility. Father, in obedience. Father, for the blessings and the challenges of each week. Father, the issues that we walk through individually and as families and as as your body. I'm thankful, Father, that you are our Father and that the church belongs to you. That we are your bride, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us. Your word says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth that will guide us into all truth. And Father, I pray that even now that your Holy Spirit would reveal the truth about each of us. Father, that we we don't deserve this life. But Father, you've given us life in Jesus. And we're so thankful for that. Lord, help us to examine our hearts, even as we read your word. Even as we hear it spoken and preached. I ask, Father, that your your spirit would guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we've been in a series called Be Ready. And uh, we started off talking about being ready for, uh, to give a witness. And then we uh, have also talked about being ready to give, recognizing that everything that we have comes from God. And then we've also talked last week about being ready for spiritual battle, putting on the armor and being ready to fight the battle that, that we have to fight each day. And today I want to I talk about being ready for works. Being ready for works. Now, you know, years ago there was a couple of men and they were, they were caught stealing sheep. And uh, a big S was placed on their foreheads. And one of those fellas decided he was going to leave town and the other fellow decided to stay. And some years went by and, and um, uh, some of the people forgot what the S was for. And when asked about, about those S's by a newcomer, one fella said, well, I think the S stands for saint. 
See, if you've tasted God's grace at the cross, then you are a changed person. There's simply no way that you can receive God's eternal gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, and have your sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, and then go on living as you formerly lived. There's no way that could happen once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. See, it's by His sovereign grace alone. We call it amazing grace. By by His sovereign grace alone, God has raised you, get this now, raised you from the dead. Things that are dead aren't alive. Things that are dead usually stink. Things that are dead are usually buried. He raised you from the dead, being dead in your sins. He has given you a new heart. He's given you a new understanding of Him so that you can know Him, the one true living God. And His grace leaves you as a different person than who you were before. I know. I've experienced that grace. You know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he said, he used to say, let your repentance be as widespread as your sin. What a statement. You know, but at the same time, it seems there are powerful forces at work to cause you to want to revert back to your old nature. Your old ways. I mean, the world bombards you daily with messages that promise satisfaction in the pleasures apart from God. Don't worry about God. Just just enjoy what the world has to offer. The flesh also tempts you within, promising fulfillment for you if you will yield to that temptation. But there's also the devil who very craftily lays his his trap for you, trying to entice you to satisfy your needs in a disobedience to God. We're surrounded by all of this. And all of these powerful forces, forces make us tend to forget what God has done in our hearts through his grace. And so we need to be reminded again and again and again of how God's grace has laid hold, has laid claim to our lives. See, as with all not yet glorified saints, we're not going to be glorified until we're in His presence. Oh, we're being sanctified. We're being cleansed as we go and set apart as we go. But on that day, when we stand face to face with God, we will be glorified. And as as with all not yet glorified saints, we are in continual need of a fresh reminder. Like that hymn writer plainly confessed, 
prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Oh, that's who we are. We're prone to do that. We're prone to wander off from God and to leave him even in his goodness. See, as I looked over the messages that I've preached to God's people over the last 20 years, I found out I've almost totally neglected the subject of good deeds, of good works. See, we recognize that we're not saved by our works. But we tend to almost shun that. And what I'm saying is, I want to bring that to a forefront this morning. I'm not saying we're saved by our works. What I am saying is, if we are saved, there will be good works. See, this is not good in light of Paul's advice to pastors. In his letters to Timothy and Titus, over and over again, in these letters, Paul urges pastors to urge their congregations to be ready, to be zealous of good deeds, good works. And it's one of the things that the New Testament commands God's people to be ready for, is to be ready to do good works. In Titus chapter 3, I want to read one verse. I'm going to read some more later, but I'm going to read one right now. Titus chapter 3 verse 1 says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. I mean, God, through Paul, has commanded us to be ready for good works. Be ready for good deeds. And that word ready, in the Greek, it literally uh, comes from a word that means fitness. To be ready, to be fit. Okay, so he's saying to be fit for every good deed. (laughs) It means ready, it means prepared, it means to be in a state of readiness. And the word The meaning of this word has to do with preparation both in the active sense of of be ready, of, of making ready, but also in the passive sense of just being in a state of readiness, having ability or resolution. And this word is used 17 times in the New Testament to be ready, to be fit. Now, probably a good sense of the meaning of this word be ready is in Jesus' instructions to his disciples. In Matthew 24, Jesus said it this way. He said, for this reason, or in light of alertness, necessary to catch a thief at night. Okay? If you're going to catch the the, the burglar at night, you got to be alert. And he's saying, be ready. For this reason, you be continually, or as a habit, or as a lifestyle, ready to For the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you know, when you do not think he will come. See, he's saying, be ready always. And these words, good deeds, good works, is a a major theme in this very short letter. This, This letter only has three chapters. And it's a major theme. And the reason is, is because Paul is writing to Titus, who is ministering in in, in Crete. Okay, 
And, and, and the Cretans were, were a rough and wild and rebellious people. And so Christianity comes to civilize, to sanctify, and to save. See, in these preceding instructions, Paul had dealt primarily with these individuals, with these believers, and, and their relationship with other believers. And now he informed them about the obligations of the gospel are also in a believer's relationship to the government and to pagan society. What is our relationship to the government? What is our relationship to those around us who may not worship God like we do? See, the the saying then was, Cretans are always liars. They're always evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Could that not be said of our society? I mean, the truth of the gospel is that it doesn't relieve us as saints of our civic duties, but in fact it enforces them. The reality is that Christianity makes a difference And it makes people better citizens in a society. People should understand and recognize that we are who we are today because of the believers in America. Oh, they don't want to acknowledge it. They want to take down everything that even resembles honoring God and honoring Jesus Christ. But think about this. Paul wants to encourage the Cretans. And he wants to encourage us. Look at verse, chapter 2, verse 7. He wants to encourage us to be a better pattern, an example of good works. Verse 7 in chapter 2 says, In all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds. With purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Oh, family, we need to put aside the language that we use in many ways. Sound in speech which is beyond reproach so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Look at verse 14, same chapter, chapter 2, Titus. He says we are to be zealous Passionate for good works. Verse 13 says, Looking for the blessed hope and the the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous or passionate for good deeds. And then he says, be ready for every good work in chapter 3, verse 1. And then in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. And then also in verse 14 of that same chapter, he says, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Wow. I think his point is that they need and we need 
to be involved with good deeds. Because you see, notice that it's, it's faith and works. It's kind of like inhaling and exhaling. Let's say you inhale faith. Faith. And you exhale works. Faith and works. They go together. Faith and works. When you are breathing in faith, you will be working it out as you exhale. They go together. I think that's why he says, James says, faith without works is dead. See, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you to be ready for good works as a fellowship of God's people. I mean, the Bible doesn't often command us to go to church. It doesn't command us in that way. Most often it is assumed that God's people will want to go to church. I mean, you shouldn't have to tell someone who has a warm home and a comfortable bed that they shouldn't sleep on a park bench or out in the gutter. You shouldn't have to tell them that. And as children of God, the same way, as a member of the family of God, we should not need to command to seek out shelter and the sustenance that comes from being involved with the family of God at church. However, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25... The writer of Hebrews says this, he says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That passage cautions us to continue gathering together. Because the more we get together, the more we get together the more united we become, the more passionate we become. The more you get together, the more we get together. You see, the first part of that biblical command is to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. It says, consider how to stimulate one another. Consider how to massage one another, how to spur one another on to love and to good deeds. (laughs) I mean, we meet together as a church. Primarily to encourage and to love each other and for good works. See, if we're meeting together, you and I, us, if we're meeting together to encourage one another, let me ask you the question Who, who, who are you encouraging? We encourage each other just by being here. But we could take that a step further, couldn't we? It doesn't just have to be that we show up and sit in on a pew next to somebody. We could actually be an encouragement to someone who we know, who is here. I mean, look around. Find someone to encourage Look for that opportunity. Don't come to think of what's in it for me. Come with the attitude of what can I do for someone else. 
How can I encourage a brother or a sister who is discouraged? Because, folks, there is a lot of discouraging things going on. You and I both know it. How can we encourage one another? (laughs) You know, in John 13, we read that Jesus rose from the table after supper, where he instituted the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and he performed the most unusual service to his disciples who would become the foundation of his church. He got up and he stripped down to, the, to the, what a, a common servant would wear. And then it says that he washed the disciples' feet. And when he had finished, this is what he said. He said, for I have given you, I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. You know, foot washing was a personal, intimate service that was usually rendered by the humblest of servants. What kind of humble service could you render to someone else in our family? You know, I'm thinking about, have you ever washed your brother or sister in Christ's car gets filthy from all the road dust and everything? Have you ever offered to go and mow your brother or sister's yard? Kind of pointless right now with it all dead. But listen, there's no end. There's no end to the ministry that we could and should be doing for one another. See, such ministry should come naturally for people who belong to God. (laughs) I mean, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it's a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Did you catch that? That we were, I love this, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you're looking for purpose, that's it. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, to do good. We've been taken, our evil deeds have been taken from us, our evil works, and we've been been repurposed, regenerated for good works. See, listen, we're to be like Jesus for the best reason of all, because he reached down in his mercy to save us from a life of sin. He didn't save us by reforming us. He saved us by regenerating us, making us alive again. Making us alive again. He's resurrecting us. The resurrected king is resurrecting us. See, we were dead in our sin. Dead. 
not just seriously ill. We were dead in our sin. We didn't just have the flu. We were dead in our sin. I love this because verse 13 in Titus chapter 2 says, Looking for that blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, every lawless thing that we've done, every evil that we've committed, every sin that has ever been done. He redeemed us from every lawless deed to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous, passionate for good deeds. If God is passionate about us and he redeemed us so that we would be his possession, so that we would be passionate about good deeds... It seems like we need to die to self so that we can be passionate as well about doing good deeds for others. Secondly, I want to say we need to be ready for good works as a witness of God's grace. You know, several years ago, I pastored a church in Dublin, Texas, and and we participated in something called Operation Jesus, and we would go out into the neighborhoods, and we would uh, knock on people's door, uh, two or three of us at a time, and we would pray, and just ask them if there was some way we could pray over them, if there was something going on in their life that we could pray about. And, and what we were doing is we were also looking for service opportunities that, that maybe if there was a need in their life that we as a, as a, as a church body could meet, that we would be out there and, and help them to do that. Uh, and, and listen, fruit... All fruit takes time to mature. Many times we plant the seed and then we go out and we watch it. And we're waiting for the fruit because we want one of those nice big juicy apples or peaches to come off of that tree. And we're waiting for the fruit. But you know, sometimes it takes time. And you may have to go back again and again and water and, and tend to it and prune and fertilize But we live in a day where instant gratification is everything to us. What I'm saying is all fruit takes time. Especially spiritual fruit. And it's rarely produced quickly. But most of the time, good works will open the door to a verbal witness. See, our good deeds themselves can bear witness to what Christ has done in our lives. I mean, that's what Paul writes to Titus here in verse 8 of chapter 3. He says this is a trustworthy statement. Concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These are good and profitable for men. Notice he doesn't say these things are good and profitable for God. He doesn't say that these are good and profitable for the church. He says these are good and profitable for men, for people. We're to be ready to give good works, to do good works wherever we go. Because as we, as a witness to the world, we go in the name of Jesus Christ. But you see, we want to carry the gospel all over the world. But before we do that, we need to remember one thing. Even before we can be a witness 
to the world, we first have to be a witness at home. If we want to carry the gospel to other places, we need to carry the gospel home. And I don't just mean in our neighborhoods. I mean in your home and my home. We need to be ready for good works. I love this because if we expect to carry the gospel to other places. Listen, evangelism begins at home. If you want to be an evangelist in your workplace, if you want to be an evangelist in the marketplace, then you need to be an evangelist at home. If you want to be a disciple maker, discipleship begins at home. Fellowship begins at home. Worship begins at home. See, we ought to be worshiping all week long, not just on Sunday morning. And then when we gather together in corporate worship, if we've been worshiping all week long, I mean, crime and e, Mickey Mouse could come up here and present the God's word and, and we would be moved by it. But the problem is, is we haven't been in the word all week. We've been doing our own thing. It hasn't begun at home. You want to know why there's a big fat zero on professions of faith since September 1st? Of last year is because no one is evangelizing. It's not my job. It's all of our jobs. See, it begins at home. If you want to be an evangelist, start at home. You want to be a disciple maker, start at home. You want to be involved with worship, it begins at home. But I tell you today that good deeds also starts at home. Finally, I want to say this. Be ready for good works as a service of God's love. You know, it's kind of easy to tell who the Christians are, isn't it? I mean, it's the guys with the baseball caps that say Christ on it. Or the t-shirts. Or maybe it's a cross around the neck. You can, you can kind of tell who the Christians are, right? Am I right or am I right? Not always. But here's the deal. Making a visible statement has come a long way since those bumper stickers that said, honk if you love Jesus. Is there anything wrong with bearing a witness for Christ that way? Of course not. Of course not as long as our behavior lives up to its advertising. You see, if you're going to support those kind of things, if you're going to put that cap on, if you're going to put that shirt on, then you need to be living like it. Because you're telling the world, I'm a believer. And when you twist off at the drive-thru, you're leaving a bad example. Paul said we need to be good examples of good deeds. See, no wardrobe accessory can take the place of a spirit-empowered daily life of humility and obedience. Because, folks, that is fashionable and wears well in any situation. See, we usually think of love as a feeling. You know, in the case of a young couple in love, I mean, <laughs> we sometimes talk about it um, 
that it's a feeling that causes confusion in the brain. I mean, we might say, well, love is blind. Or we may say something like, um, oh, he's all Twitter-pated. What we're saying is it's causing problems. Love. But you know, the Bible speaks of love in terms not of a feeling, but of action. Terms of action. 1 Corinthians says this, it says, love suffers long and is kind. Love is kind. It does not envy, is not rash, does not put on airs or behave unseemly. Love is not selfish. It is not easily provoked. Does not entertain evil thoughts. Love rejoices in the truth. It bears every trial and it is hopeful in every situation and endures anything it faces. See, the Bible does not tell us how love feels, but how it behaves. I think that's huge. Love will always express itself in good works. I mean, if faith that does not produce good works is dead, well, surely love without works is phony. It's not real. See, we should be an influence for good in our community in every way, demonstrating the loveliness of Christ to all through courteous and gracious behavior. See, the relationship of believers to non-Christians is to be governed by the principles of love. (laughs) They'll know we are Christians, not by the cap we wear, not by the shirt we wear, not by the necklace around our neck. They will know we are Christians by our love. See, qualities like these are possible only for a person whose heart Christ reigns supremely. See, I grew up in a home where love was abundant. My parents loved each other, and we knew it. All of us boys knew that. We could could see it in all the things that they, they did for each other, but for us as well. My brothers and I, they, we knew that they loved us. We never knew why Dad spent long hours teaching. But looking back on it, we know he was showing us his love. Or why Mom spent many hours in the kitchen. She loved us. We knew why they sacrificed to help us. They gave of themselves and why they did a thousand other things for us. That we often took for granted. Oh sure, you can see it clearly now. Hindsight's twenty twenty. They cared about us. And we were a very important part of their lives. But you see, love will always show itself in action. As well as with words. But love speaks the loudest. When it shows sacrifice. 
I mean, that's exactly the greatest love was shown. It's exactly how it was shown from the very moment of Christ's birth. God showed his love. As Jesus carried out his ministry, as he went and, and, and taught and, and loved people and, and, and did miraculous healings, humble service. His service even drew the jealousy of men and they nailed him to a cross. And on that cross, through his sacrifice, he showed us the fullest of love as he died for you and for me to pay the price for our sin. That's love at its best, at its fullest. See, and you cannot fully realize the claims of Christ on your life until you follow his works of love to the foot of the cross and you hear him say, so send I you. See, each one of us is to be a messenger of that love. No matter our background, no matter where we've come from, because we have been redeemed and repurposed. We've been regenerated to new life. We've been resurrected by our resurrecting King. See, as brothers and sisters, we must never assume or presume that things will be easy. I don't have it all together. And neither do you. Sometimes our expectations of others are not met. And we get discouraged. And because we are selfish by nature, we tend to not always think of the best in others. And that tells me that we need the help of God to exist as the family of God. Today, I want to encourage all of us to find ourselves occupied in profitable business. I'm not talking about secular terms here. I'm talking about being involved in good works. May we find ourselves occupied with good works so that we wouldn't take any interest in things that are unworthy or contentious or in needless dealings. But that we, there's no cap on this. You are free to serve others as much as you can, as much as you desire. So are you ready for the good works the Lord has called you to do? See, it all begins with a heart that is surrendered. A heart that is surrendered and willing to do God's will. 